You guys might remember this. How many of you are Tim Hortons fans? No judgment. We're not going to like yell at you. Tim Hortons. If you've been a Tim Hortons supporter for a while, you might remember a few years ago, three, four years ago, let's say, it kind of seemed like they were starting, in my opinion, to lose their way a bit. They were starting to kind of have an identity crisis. They were trying to sell everything. Any food product you could think of, Tim Hortons tried to sell it for a while there. I read an article this week that said in the year 2019 alone, that one year, Tim Hortons in Canada issued over 60 limited time offers. That's an, and now some of those were regional. They had them in this part of the country, but not this one. But that's an average of over five every month. That's head spinning. Even for a big company like Tim Hortons, that's a lot. That's probably too much. And I remember there was a phase there. They were selling burgers. Did anybody have a Tim Hortons burger when they were here? I didn't. They, they didn't look necessarily that great. They were selling in certain parts of Canada these like waffle sandwich things. I don't even know what that is, but they had that for a while. They got into the Beyond Meat market there. They were trying to do it all. And interestingly, you might think, oh, well, that's good. They're selling everything. They're going to they're gonna appeal to all kinds of people. They'll make lots of money. Actually, their company suffered for it. They were losing money, for one. I'm told that it was miserable to be an employee at that time because there was so much to do, so many plates to spin, so many things to remember. It was just a nightmare. And you know what they did? They also alienated their clientele. Because people in their mind, I don't know, I thought I was going to Tim Hortons to get a coffee and a donut, double-double and a Boston cream, maybe anybody, I don't know. But now I see they're selling burgers and I can't even read what's all on the sign and the font is like extra small to fit everything in. I don't even know, I I guess I'm at the burger joint now. People were kind of disheartened and disenfranchised by that and they voted with their feet. And it came to be that in early 2020, the Tim Hortons CEO They came out and they said, you know what? Enough is enough. We're trying to do too much. You can't do it all, but we're trying to do it all and we're failing miserably at it. We've got to cut back. We've got to get back to what's most important. We've got to get back to the heart of what our company is and stands for, which obviously Tim Hortons is not a burger joint. It's a bake shop with some sandwiches and coffee. Remember this Tim Hortons thing. We're going to come back to this in a minute. We're in the Gospel of John. We're making our way through this whole gospel. It's been great. We're in a section right now. In fact, you can turn in your Bible to John 14, verse 15. John 14, 15. The section we're in right now is this critical juncture in Jesus' life. He is about to go to the cross the next day. His time is drawing near, and he's meeting with his disciples. He's, excuse me, bringing them in close. He's giving them one final parting message. When I go, you need to remember these things. They're critically important. Subsequently, they're critically important for us to remember as well. These are directly pertinent for us in our day, in our lives, in our era today. So we got to listen to what Jesus is saying. Somebody say, we got to listen. Very good. I'm going to read to you from verse 15 down to the end of the chapter, verse 31, and then we'll unpack it. Jesus is talking. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. That's a prediction of his upcoming death. But you will see me. I love this. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Manifest just means to show, reveal himself to you. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Judas is already gone. We read that a couple chapters ago. He says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, but not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. He says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, Remember the Tim Hortons thing. Their problem was that they forgot what was the most important thing. They forgot what the goal is that they were really supposed to be going after. And they were going after all this other stuff. Well, I would submit to you this. It's easy for us to do that in our walk as well. And we have a goal that we are supposed to be working on as believers in this life. It's not just a free-for-all, willy-nilly it's very clear. And I'm going to tell you what the goal is. I'm not going to make you guess. Don't say I never did anything for you. The goal that we see in the scriptures is to be close to Jesus in relationship with Jesus. I'll say that again. What we're supposed to be working on. What am I supposed to be doing in my walk? I'm supposed to be getting closer to Jesus and walking in relationship with Jesus. And saying that, that should be no shock to you if you've been hanging around here long enough. Because we see this all through the scriptures. We we read in the scriptures that we were made by God and for God. Your life is supposed to be directly connected to God. He's not some sidebar or an afterthought. He's supposed to be the center of your life. We've read even in the Gospel of John so far and other places that Jesus is that God, that he is the greatest treasure in the world. He is the pathway to know what it means to truly be free and to truly live. We read last week that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, okay? So it's very, very clear. He's the goal. He's the target. He's the prize. And it's all through this section of scripture that we just read as well. Verse 15, you watch the relational language in here, okay? Verse 15, he says, if anyone loves me, That's relationship language. He says, I'm going to send you a helper to be with 
you, to be with you, relational language. Uh, Verse 17, he says, the spirit is going to dwell with you and in you, relational language. Verse 18, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you, relational. Verse 19, you're going to see me, relational. Verse 20, I'm in the father, you're in me, I'm in you, relational. Verse 21, I'm going to manifest myself, show myself, reveal myself, prove myself to you, relational. Verse 23, we're going to come and we're going to make our home with you, relational. Do you see that in God's word this morning? I hope I've made the point abundantly clear. It's right there, okay? But listen, listen, here's the problem. Sometimes as Christians, well, I'll even back up. Most people in the world have no idea that that's the goal they're supposed to be working on. Most people in the world have no regard for God, or maybe he's just this loose whatever. Yeah, maybe there's a God out there somewhere. No, that's not it. That's not enough. That's not what this is talking about. This is a real relationship. And so when people pour into, even good things, by the way, even when people pour into, well, I want to have a good life and a good family and be a good spouse and raise my kids well and make good money and make good memories and have good times. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of that stuff. But the problem is when Jesus is removed from the equation, when Jesus is not the center of all of that, you miss the point completely, completely. And again, as Christians, we are susceptible to this. As Christians, we are susceptible to saying, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord, cool, 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 awesome, awesome, awesome. But then we busy ourselves or prioritize other things ahead of Jesus. And it's not that Jesus doesn't want you to have those good things like I just mentioned, but the problem is we get the order out of whack. I'd rather have my money than I'd have Jesus. I'd rather have good memories than Jesus. I'd rather this, I'd rather that than Jesus. And that is missing the point. That's missing the mark. It's missing the target and the prize. It's all about Jesus. And I will say this to some of you guys. Some of you guys here are big, big servants. I mean, we see it. You're busy always doing something. The the word of caution I want to give to you is this. It's to not miss the forest for the trees. Sometimes you can be so busy doing work for God, right? I remember this. I was driving. uh, This was back in the summer or in the fall, just this past year. And I had a busy week just busy. Not a bad week, nothing like no crisis, no fires to put out, nothing like that. Just busy, doing ministry things, church things, God-related things. Busy, busy week. And I decided I would kind of kill multiple birds with one stone. I was going to pray one morning on my commute into work. I have like a 30, 35-minute drive to work. I was going to be super spiritual and pray on the way in. And I think I got to the end of my road, about two minutes, and then I got off onto something else. And what I got off onto was thinking about my day, right? Thinking about my week. I wasn't thinking about sinful things. I, I was literally thinking, okay, Lord, I got to do this, trying to get myself organized, psyched up. And my, I just went down that rabbit trail, uh, long, far down the rabbit trail. And I got all the way into town. I remember this. I was driving across the Harbor Bridge, and it was as though the Holy Spirit went, and I kind of snapped out of it for a second. I said, oh, Lord, oh, Sorry, I was going to pray. Sorry, sorry. And he said to me, not in, a, in an audible voice and not in a scolding way. He just said, I could, I could sense the Spirit saying this to me. Don't forget in the busyness of all the stuff you're doing for God, don't forget to meet with God himself because that's the point. That's the point. That is the goal. 
So, with that being said, we've established what the goal is, what the target is. We want to be close to Jesus, get as close to him as we can, walk in relationship with him as best we can. The question then is, what can I do to work toward that goal? Right? Because I'm assuming it's not, okay, I'll just sit over here and do nothing and assume that I'll get closer to Jesus. What can I be doing? What inputs can I be inputting, working on, to get closer to him. And in our text, in John 14, there are two things. This is not an exhaustive list, but there's two things to encourage us today, what you can do to pursue this goal of being closer to Jesus. The first one is this. You can be filled with the Spirit. Somebody say, be filled with the Spirit. There are a few verses in this text about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get to those in a minute. But just a brief crash course, high level, 37,000 foot flyover about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to tell you everything there is to know about him. I can't anyway, but I'm not even going to try. Here's the very Coles Notes version. The Holy Spirit is God. Our God exists in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all everlasting, eternal God. And the Spirit has always been around. You can read right at the very start of your Bible in the creation account in Genesis 1. God created the heavens and the earth. And right after that, it says, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters. He was already there. He didn't get created. He was already present. The Holy Spirit has always been active in the world too. If you read in the Old Testament, for example, you can read all kinds of places where so-and-so had this task in front of them. It was monumental. The Lord said it's going to happen, and it will say the Spirit came upon them or rushed on them, and it gave them the the strength or whatever they needed to do this task. And then it kind of seems like that was a short-term thing there. I, I, I plowed through that wall. The Holy Spirit was in me for that couple minutes, whatever. It's like that. But here's how the Holy Spirit also works now today. Yes, the Holy Spirit is out there. The Holy Spirit is, is working on people that aren't Christians, trying to convict them, open their eyes, all that stuff. But it takes, he takes on a, a, different, a, a different form for us as Christians as well. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, like somebody did this morning, just saying, wink, wink. When you repent of your sin... And give you, actually, that would be a great place for a clap. Excuse me, forgive me, forgive me. When you repent of your sin and give yourself to Jesus and surrender your life to Him, the Bible says you're saved, you're forgiven, you're made new, you're born again, you're made a new creation. And it says that you receive the Holy Spirit. This is not new information to you. It says that in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, all Christians, all people that are followers of Jesus who have been born again have, possess the Holy Spirit. You with me so far? Making sense? What this is talking about though is something slightly different. There's also such a thing as being filled with the Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit is what you do when you go from I'm not a Christian to now I'm becoming a Christian. But this being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing activity that we need as Christians. Uh, It even says in Ephesians 5.18, which was a book that was written to believers, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know that that's not expressly talking about, oh, just salvation. And by the way, 
in no way am I downplaying the receiving of the Holy Spirit at salvation, okay? It's awesome. We love it. We celebrate that. I'm not saying in any way, oh, we've got the A team. and the, If you just have the Holy Spirit, looking way down here. And if you are filled with the Spirit, it's nothing like that. No levels, no distinctions, nothing like that. But I'll tell you, here's just a, a silly example to drive this home. I have at my house a Brita water pitcher. Anybody have a Brita at their house? We got it because when we lived in town, I'm not saying this to insult anyone, we thought the tap water tasted gross. And we ran it through the Brita filter. But we've since moved out of town and we drink the water just out of the tap. It tastes pretty good. So we have a Brita. It sits in the lower cupboard down here and we never use it. Is that Brita filled? It's not. It's not full of water in my cupboard, just so you know. That would be weird. It's sitting there. So there's a difference. Like, I have that Brita. It belongs to me. I'm in possession of it. But it's not doing a lot of good sitting there with nothing in it. It's not filled. You make sense? Just saying there's a little difference there, okay? And what being filled, again, super high level, super high level. What it means to be filled with the Spirit, it means this. When you're filled with the Spirit, this is just one way of saying it. There's many. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit has come upon you in such a way that the result is the activity of God abounding in your life. The Holy Spirit comes on you in such a way that the activity of God abounds in your life. When you are yielded to the Spirit to the extent that He becomes the primary influence in your life, in your walk, in the things that you do, in the way that you think. And I'm not saying, oh, you like get possessed and lose all control of yourself. You still have free will and free choice, all of that for sure. But it's when the Holy Spirit is in you in such a way that the activity of God, the will of God, the reality of God is abounding in your life. Make sense? Still good? Okay. Now you say, well, what might that look like in function in my life? What does it look like when I'm filled with the Spirit? Well, it could look like many things. Again, I'm not going to stand here and give you an exhaustive list. But for instance, I'll refer to just a couple. I read Ephesians 5.18, which says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. A couple of verses after that, it talks about some things that happen when that happens. One of them is you're singing to the Lord. In other words, you're worshiping. When you're filled with the Spirit as a believer, it fills you with this desire to worship. Uh, it says in that Ephesians 5.19 that when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be giving thanks. You're, you're not going to be acting like the bratty and entitled child complaining about everything. You're just going to be so full of thanks to God. And you just can't help but saying thank you to Him. It talks about when you're filled with the Spirit, there's a submission to other people. In other words, you want to honor others. You don't want to cut them down and, and, and beat them over the head with something. You want to honor and build up and love on those around you. That's one sign of being filled with the Spirit. Another one is that you're filled with a reverence for God. Some of you guys will know this as a Christian. Sometimes there are moments where you're just made so aware of who God is. You just have those moments where the, the weight of it, the holiness of God, the majesty of God just kind of, whoa, and you just get it. Well, that's something that can happen when you're filled with the Spirit. Another verse, Galatians 5.16 says, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, there is power there to overcome sin. And you guys, we have all played this game. All, I guarantee we have all done this. I got some hang up or some sin or some habit in my life that shouldn't be there and I'm gonna try really hard and buckle down and beat this thing. I see heads shaking. That's the right answer. 
Sometimes that doesn't work at all for any length of time. Just, you just fail before you even begin at that. Sometimes, maybe through sheer determination and willpower, you might go for a little while. But then you're right back into the rut. Oh, what happened? And it's so frustrating. But I'm saying that the Holy Spirit gives us power. When we're filled with the Spirit, it's not your power, it's His power that can help you not gratify the desires of the flesh. Some of you guys have seen that in your life. It's awesome. Another thing that can happen when you're filled with the Spirit is you're given boldness. You see that in the book of Acts. It says they were filled with the Spirit and they were bold. They were sharing the gospel. They were speaking the truth. They were getting out of their comfort zone. All of these things and many other things can happen when we're filled with the Spirit. The Bible doesn't really talk about kind of a duration or a length of time for that. It doesn't have to, though, just be some quick little thing. Like, oh, I, for instance, came to church on Sunday morning, and I sang the song, and I was filled with the Spirit. But then when I went out the door, there must have been some sort of weird something going on because my, my filled with the Holy Spirit just got checked at the door. Not necessarily. You could be filled with the Spirit for an ongoing period of time, indefinitely, in theory, Functionally, though, we all kind of step back into our fleshly shoes once in a while and do something dumb. It just, it's called being a human being, and God has grace for that, and that's cool. It also can be accompanied, when you're filled with the Spirit, it can be accompanied by powerful, visible signs. Maybe it's like a healing or speaking in tongues or things like that, but not necessarily always. It doesn't always have to be the case. Sometimes when you're filled with the Spirit, it, it manifests itself in more quiet ways, maybe just an inner peace. You just know for whatever reason, even though if your world is burning down around you, you're just at peace inside because the Holy Spirit is in you. So this makes sense. It's a crash course, but we good on this, Holy Spirit? Be filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, okay. So in our text in John, we see a few verses here. The Holy Spirit is called in verse 16, the helper. Somebody say helper. In verse 17, he's called the spirit of truth. In verse 26, it says that he will teach us and bring all these things that Jesus has said to our remembrance. If I could sum all of that up, here is at a high level what the role, the ultimate role of the Holy Spirit is in your life. It's to point you toward this goal that we already talked about. It's to point you to Jesus so you can be closer to Jesus, so you can become more like Jesus. Jesus is the goal. Do you see that in there? When it says that he's our helper, well, what does he help us with? Well, lots of things, but ultimately, he helps us get closer to Jesus. He helps us keep our eye on Jesus. He helps us to become more like Jesus. It's not your strength. It's his power working through you. It says that he's the spirit of truth. You might remember last week, I love this, Jesus gets up and he says, I am the way and the truth. He is the truth. So when it says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, what that's saying is he's pointing us to the truth, Jesus Christ, the one who truth is embodied by and proceeds from. It says uh, in verse 26, he's gonna teach us. Teach us what? Bring to remembrance. Bring what to remembrance? The things that Jesus says. It's all about Jesus, okay? Still good? So you can be filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian. If you want to pursue this goal of being as close to Jesus as you can, you need the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, you need the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news about the Holy Spirit. It's not just reserved for a few Christians. Oh, well, you know, this, this group of Christians, they can be filled with the Spirit, but not me. Oh, I'm not good enough, or I'm not... No, it's not something you've got to take a class for. It's not something that you've got to pay money for. 
any Christian can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And honestly, what it starts with is a desire to be close to God. It's a desire and a hunger and a choosing of God. It's abandoning yourself to God, renouncing yourself to God, submitting yourself to God. That's where it begins. And you know what else? You can even ask God for this. Ask to be filled. God, fill me with your spirit. I want you guys to know this. That is a prayer that I have in the last year or so really started to pray a lot more for myself and for you guys, for us as a church. God, fill us with your spirit. I am not primarily praying for God. Wow, pack the place on Sunday. I mean, yes, I do pray for that. Lord, let's have more people. Awesome. That's not primarily my prayer. It's not, oh, Lord, let our programs be awesome. Something wrong with having good programs. But we need the Holy Spirit. It's not, oh, Lord, let there be enough money in the bank, in the budget this year. Yeah, we pray about that. But, but what I pray for more than all of that is fill us with your Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Him. Yes, Lord. Come on. So that's the first thing you can do. If you want to pursue this goal, you be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second thing you can do, hand in hand with the first, is this. You make obedience your business. Somebody say obedience. That is not always a popular word. Like fasting. Obedience implies, oh, there's somebody in authority over me. I'm not all that I think I am sometimes. I'm not as important and on a throne as I sometimes feel I should be. Someone is in authority over me and they're telling me to do something and I need to humble myself and do that thing. Not always popular. Our flesh is always at war against this obedience thing. And yet here's Jesus right in here. He says, if you love me, verse 15, you will keep my commandments. That's obedience. He says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps, obeys them, it is he who loves me. Here's a couple of things this is not saying, by the way. The first thing this is not saying is the way you earn God's favor is through your obedience. Right? If I just follow the rules enough, God will have to be pleased with me. He'll have to accept me. I'll be righteous because I follow the rules so well. That's not what this is talking about at all. Also, good luck with that because it's not possible to do. You can't, oh, you can't obey the rules hard enough to make yourself right in the sight of God. doesn't work. You're only made right through what Jesus has done for you, not what you do for God. So, by the way, that's a word like for Christians too. Judas even asked Jesus in verse 22, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not the world? Like, this is not a message for the world, this part right here. This is for Christians, people who claim to love Jesus, who claim that they want to go after this goal of being close to him. You've got to obey. And as a Christian, let me just remind you, you've already earned the favor of God. Or you didn't earn it. That was a misstep. You've received the favor of God through Jesus. See, you were, I was just testing you. You all passed. Good job. All right, moving rapidly along. The other thing this is not saying is that you've got to, at all costs, be perfect. You've got to follow the rules so hard as a Christian. Make sure you don't drop the ball and forget to follow the rule. Because if you do, you're out. See you later. You're gone. Not what it's saying at all. God knows that we're going to stumble. The Bible says we all stumble in many ways. Join the club. Get in line behind this guy right here. There's a great verse that sums up the heart of what it's talking about. It's in Matthew chapter 5. During Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he speaks up and he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's not who's perfect. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who make it their business to to go after and pursue being and doing right in the sight of God. That leads to blessing. And and here's what I'll say. The more given you are to obedience to Jesus, the more positioned you are to receive blessing from Jesus. And the blessings are listed here, a couple of them. Verse 21, I'm gonna manifest myself to that person who follows me and loves me and obeys me. I'm gonna show up in their life. I'm gonna show up more and more in their life. Kind of sounds like getting closer to Jesus, which is the goal, right? Uh, Another one here, verse 23, whoever keeps my word, he says, I'm gonna come and make my home with that person. Relationship, dwelling, closeness, that's the goal. And if you hear, like if you're a person, you hear the word obedience and talking about our faith, you go, oh, oh, that's just religion. I'm not into religion. This is not what this is saying at all. What it's saying is that what we want is the relationship and the obedience affects the relationship. You understand what I'm saying? You can get a lot closer to Jesus as a Christian when you humble yourself and you walk in obedience than you can as a Christian who puffs themselves up with pride and resists and rebels against Jesus. I'm just saying, it's very black and white. Very black and white. And the alternative is even listed right there on verse 24. Jesus says, the one who does not love me does not keep my word. So for internal reflection, don't answer this out loud for goodness sake. How's that going in your life? Again, I'm not saying... Oh, was I perfect this week? Uh, I can tell you pretty confidently, you were not. You, you were not. I love you. You were not. Even if you're only counting today, the first day of the week, you still probably weren't, okay? But do I, like, like what, what is my gut response when I hear this, this discussion about obedience? Is it, wow, yes, Lord, I need to do that. Give me strength, Lord. Fill me with your spirit to do this. Or is it, eh, nah. I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah, I see Jesus saying that, but I'm doing just fine. I think I know just fine and well enough. I'll do what I wanna do. You're missing it. And I'm not saying this to condemn or judge any of you. I'm saying though, if that's your heart, you gotta repent. If you bristle at the thought of obedience and submission to Jesus, it's time to repent. It's time to shed that, time to let it go and time to pursue the goal. We need to get closer to Jesus. That's the prize. One last leg before we wrap up. We know what the goal is, close to Jesus as we can get. And we know that there's some things that we can be doing along the way to to work into that. We can be filled with the Spirit. We can be making obedience our business in our day-to-day lives. The question then is this. Let's say I do that. Are there signs that it's, quote, working in my life? Are, are there visible signs that I'm on track? And as I'm pursuing this, I can tell that it's starting to take root in my life. The answer is yes, there are. You don't have to guess and wonder, oh, am I doing this right? Am I getting closer to Jesus? I can't really tell. Our text in John is gonna give us two ways that we can tell that this is, quote, working in our life. These are encouraging. You ready for this? This is good. This is the good part here. You ready? The first one is this. You can tell that this is, quote, working in your life when the peace of God is increasing in your life. Look at verse 27 there. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, if you've been hanging around long enough, you're probably dead sick of me explaining about peace. But anytime it comes up, I gotta do it because it's so important that we understand. When God is talking about peace, he's not just talking about the absence of conflict in your life. Right there, there happens to not be a war raging in me or, or through me, and I'm in some neutral ground. No, that's not what it means. It's not only that the, the, the conflict is not happening, it's that there's the presence of blessing. That's what God's peace is. It's not some neutral ground. The presence of blessing, not just the absence of conflict. The world doesn't understand this. The world wants peace, and they say things like, well, if you want to be at peace, if you want to just be content and, and satisfied and at rest in your life, you've got to stay true to yourself. Just live your truth. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Do what you want. To thine own self be true. Look within yourself because the truth is in there. And while you're at it, try to be a good person and it's all going to work out for you. Ever heard some of those things? They don't work. They don't work. Luckily, Jesus says, I give you peace. And he says, it's not like the peace the world is trying to give you. It's different. It's a different kind of peace. It's way better than the world gives. The peace that Jesus is offering, it is a deep abiding rest at your soul level. All might not be well in your circumstances, but you can still be at peace in your soul because of Jesus. You can still be content in your life because of Jesus. You can actually be in a place where you're not worried. You're not freaking out. You're not fretting. You're not anxious. You're not riddled and stricken by all of that stuff. Does that sound like something anybody would want, by the way? It comes when you're close to Jesus. He's called the God of peace the prince of peace. That's part of his character. That's part of his nature. That's just who he is. And when you get yourself closer and closer to him, that starts to wear off and rub off onto you. When you get yourself into his proximity, the peace starts to come upon you because he is so full of it. He is peace. I'd say it this way. If you're a Christian and there's an area in your life, or maybe it's every area of your life. Maybe you're a hot mess this morning. I don't know. Love you. Not saying this to, to write anybody off. It's an invitation. If you're a Christian, and there is an area or several areas in your life where you're not at peace, it's very simple. It's an opportunity for you to get closer to Jesus in that area of your life, and or with your whole life. Black and white. He is peace. And you say, well, I'm the exception. I feel plenty. Of no, listen. Take a breath. He loves you. He's inviting you to this. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, he says, and I will give you rest. He's the God of peace. If you want more peace in your life, you, you, you've got woes and troubles, uh, your, your health or your, your worry or your finances or a relationship or whatever it is, and you're not at peace there, run to Jesus. That's the goal anyway. Second way that you can tell that this is taking root in you, that this quote is working in your life, is that the joy of the Lord will be increasing in you. Hand in hand, right? 
not only are you going to see and observe and feel and sense the peace of God welling up in you, you're going to notice the same thing with the joy of the Lord. You're very smart people. You know that joy and happiness are not the same thing, right? Happiness is surface level. It's based on your circumstances. There's nothing wrong with being happy. I'd rather be happy than unhappy. But joy is deep. It's in here, and it's not at the surface level. And so when the tidal wave of life comes along and washes away your happiness that's based on your circumstances, it's actually possible for you to still be joyful in here internally. And joy is that deep, abiding sense of life and vitality and hope, and it's going to be all right, and, and it's rising up in me, and it's, it's good. That's what joy is. Yes, like that. And Jesus says, I'm going to read uh, what's up here. He says, verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, here's the key word, you would have what? Say that again a little louder. Rejoiced. I'm a trifle deaf in this ear. Because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. The key word in there is rejoice. And I'm submitting to you that that joy comes in your life when you're close to Jesus. He's actually called, or it says in, uh, I think it's Psalm 16, verse 11, that at the right hand of God, there is fullness of joy. Where he's at, there is joy. So when you get yourself to where he's at, you're going to come into that yourself as well. And when you get close to Jesus, you realize that this is who he is. That he went away. He went to the cross. He died in your place for your sins so that he could save you from your sins. He was buried in the ground. But he says, look, I will come to you. He did. Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated our greatest enemy, which is death and sin. He has conquered all that. He is victorious, and he's risen from the grave, and he's revealed himself to us. And, and the other part of that, too, is when he says, I will come to you, he's coming back again. He ascended into heaven. That's where he is right now, ruling and reigning, building his church, high and exalted. But he is coming back one day. And as a Christian, as someone who knows Jesus, you go, oh my word, he's coming back and I get to go with him. I get to go where he's building a place for me. I may have this terrible thing going on in my life, but one day this too will pass and I will be with Jesus. And you can just see, even in my voice, I'm getting it. This starts to rise up and well up in you. And that produces a joy in your life that the world cannot steal. Your salvation, your eternal life, that is in there and it cannot be taken away because of Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you're gonna realize this taking root in your life. Do you want the joy of the Lord in your life today? Amen. Yes, the answer is very clear. Get yourself close to Jesus and the closer you get, the more joy you will come to understand. I love this. So let's wrap this up. The goal, the prize is to be close to Jesus to work into that, we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and we can make obedience our business. And as we do that, as we walk out this life, walking with Jesus, we can tell that this is, quote, working because we're gonna be filled more and more with his peace and his joy. I just said it in 60 seconds. I could have said it a lot quicker, but there it is. That's the word of the Lord. Can we give him thanks for his word today, please? Yes.